0: Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight-talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from Timely Underscore Moments. Right guys, I hope you enjoyed the last episode Um, of the pod. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to everything that Sam and Emmett had to say over at Forcia Watches. And if you haven't followed Forcia Watches yet or engaged with them, please reach out to them because they're um, just great guys. You know, I think it clearly is such a passion project for both of them. uh, And I think that they're, you know, in a good space to kind of develop on from, you know, the current, you know, lineup within the company, uh, looking ahead to their future um projects with the Patrols Watch, which is really cool. But yeah, no, good guys. I'm really pleased that they came on. And also, I uh, plan to get them on in future when uh when the P- Patrols Watch project kind of comes to fruition. So we'll uh put a pin in that for now. Go check out their first episode, and like I said, look forward to the second part when we talk about obviously their new project. Um, today's episode is another interview episode. Um, I'm really this is the first for me, actually. Um, we've got uh, Jack from Jack McTavish Novels on, and I've never interviewed a, a, an author before. So it's going to be really cool for me because every single closing note um, for the past probably 30, 40 episodes of the Zulu Time podcast has probably had a book or audio suggestion, audible book suggestion from me. So today's closing note for me is pretty so, uh pretty pretty sorted i'll just uh you know get jack to basically mention a book and you guys can go listen to it or read it but without further ado jack welcome to the podcast hey thank you very much dan i really appreciate being here um jack obviously you know we've kind of had uh, a bit of shall we say let's be honest um bit of to and fro for the last couple of weeks trying to organize our calendars because i've moved to a new location and obviously we've got the time difference but obviously i'm really pleased that you've we've managed to make this work but um how did you hear about the podcast um you know and also is this your first podcast interview as well in terms of talking about your books
1: yeah sure so this is um so as far as uh hearing about this podcast you know it's it's on instagram i mean you you dropped into Mm -hmm. my feed we seem like we're um, a lot of common interest. I mean, in addition to to writing, I'm also a huge watch nerd. Um, mm-hmm. so that's fantastic. And um, so yeah, that's good. Now it it's my second podcast that I've been mm-hmm. on. My first this week because I have another one with um, um another podcast later in the week. So I'm looking
0: forward to that. So that other podcast hasn't gone live yet either. So what we'll do is I'll put that into the show notes for my podcast because obviously your first podcast would have gone live by the point obviously hours goes live, which is really cool. Um, You mentioned, Jack, obviously, which is key for us is you're a bit of a watch nerd. And as you would know from my podcast and all the posts that we put up onto the Timely Moments page, that we have a bit of a tradition for every guest that comes onto the podcast. And I always have to ask, what watch do you have on your wrist today? It is the uh, Tudor Black Bay 58. Strong watch. Really good watch. Um, I think they're fantastic.
1: It's 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 a grail watch for me. I, I absolutely love it, and I love hearing you mentioned Sam and Emmett because yeah. uh, with the uh, the reissue of their first watch that's coming out, uh, my name's already kind of dotted down, and uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to getting that one in the mail here really soon.
0: Yeah, so um, Sam and Emmett were really kind, actually, and they sent me out a couple of their watches to kind of get hands on them and, I guess, put a little bit of my, you know, some some media out there boredom. I, you know, I won't lie. Clearly, it is a, a bit of a media project. However, their blue dial on, on the Mod Zero is absolutely fantastic. I really like it. And I've never owned a, a real Submariner. I've handled them at watch meetups, you know, so... Um, you kind of get, you know, the feel of what you're going to get, but to have it on wrist and have some actual hands on experience with their version of it has been absolutely fantastic. So I know that you're going to enjoy it and I'm sure it will wear incredibly well, very similar to the Black Bay 58 that you have. Um, again, fantastic watch. Yeah, it's fantastic.
1: It's actually I, I made uh, Sam a problem or a, a promise. I will actually put it on the wrist.
0: Of one of my characters um in an upcoming book, that's cool. That is cool. We're gonna get into your books yeah. a little bit. Well, I say we're gonna get into your books. We're gonna get into elements of writing because I've I've noted down some I think some cool questions that I've always wanted to ask someone about. You know your process in writing, just because I'm interested in it, um and hopefully sure. you'll be able to. You know we're we'll able to tease out a little bits so of elements of characters and watches because I think it will be a cool thing to. To, to bring into. Um, my watch on the wrist, which I think you'll like, um, is a vintage piece. I've gone for a vintage piece today. Um, and it is a British Army-issued um, Army Trade Pattern or Army Time Piece watch. Uh, this particular one is actually restored. Um, so it came from uh, basically at the back of an estate sale. Um, unfortunately, the collector died and his son handed a lot of the what the the father's watches to a very prominent collector and dealer in england who i met a watch show and he basically sold it to me right um but this watch is in great condition and this is actually by font uh, or font and melon which is one of the 18 uh, companies or watch houses that provided Um, ATP watches to the British military at the beginning of the war. Um, I've put it on a bond clip strap, period correct? So it is kind of how people would have worn them during the war. Um, But from my research, and kind of, you know, I would say it's accepted. Now, obviously we don't really have much proof because records don't really, I say records don't exist. Records do exist, but, you know, there's scant evidence on whether this happened or not. However, it's accepted and it's likely that it happened. But these are probably very similar to the the watches that were issued um, or given to people within the SOE and the OSS, um, as well as, you know, resistance fighters and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the argument for it or for for it is the fact that you know they would have been available the OSS and the SOE were a military organization and you know they had equipment you know issued to them to do their role behind enemy lines and then obviously the argument against is again you know similar to the MACV SOG guys in the Vietnam War it's it's an attributable item right um, because it has <laughs> got markings on the back but you know there could be scope for, you know, to have gone out on it and done stuff like this. But then also the other side of it is, is I don't really think from, again, from my research and correct me if I'm wrong on, on your research, but like, I don't really think a lot of people looked at the back of watches during World War II. Like it probably just wasn't as common a thing because the information on watches and the kind of kit that was issued wasn't as available as it is now, you know, because we have the joy of the internet, yeah. you know, and and you know those publications would have been a little bit more hard to get, you know, to get hold of. So, I like to think that some of these watches ended up in some interesting situations like that. Um, but even 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 so, you know, I think it's still a pretty cool watch. So there you go. Yeah,
1: no, it's 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 gorgeous. I um, I I uh, I love some of those older watches. I actually got a um. um relatively recently, a a, Bulova. field, The Bulova hack, and of course, it's got a a Sangen um, compass paired Mm -hmm. with it. But but this is really cool because it's a, um, it's very, very similar to the watches that were issued during Mm -hmm. uh, during World War II. Um, It's automatic, it's got a great movement in it. And um, it's part of the, um, and I forget the exact name of the program, but it's part of a, a veteran's watch building uh, program that is sort of a reincarnation of a program that boulevard had after the uh, after World War II to help mm-hmm. returning and kind of get a new uh, sort of get a new career and or develop a career and a skill and learn the art of uh, of watchmaking. So yeah, this this one is one of my uh, my favorites. I don't wear it often. Mm-hmm. The the tutor
0: just kind of stays on my wrist, but uh, but I do love it. So I, yeah, it's a, definitely a favorite. I think some of the reissues, be it by, you know, the, the companies who have got, the you know, the, the the original names and have, you know, have continued making watches, you know, like I said, Football Over is, a, is the, probably one of the, the more historical, accurate examples, right through to prestigious watches. You know, I think the joy of these reissues or continuations is the fact that you can have the aesthetic, but w- without having the problems of the original vintage watches, right? Because, you know, exactly. it is servicing. I think its condition. You know, whereas you could buy. You know, like I've got the uh, the Rex back in at the moment from Procedus. and like I've owned the original MacBee Sog Seikos, and they're fantastic watches. But there was only a finite amount of these things ever made. You know, and I yep. think the joy of these reissues is the fact that it, like you said, it can hold the aesthetic of everything that you like that harks back to a period of interesting, you know, history for want of a expression, you know, and you can still feel, you know, connected to that. And I think that's great, you know, and the fact that Belova, um, and I never knew that after the war, did a, um, you know, I guess a program or a scheme to get service personnel into a new career after the war. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, are you familiar with uh, uh, Carl's Corona Watch? Say that again?
1: Are you familiar with uh, Carl's Krona? Uh, no, not. No. <clears throat> no, I may be wrong. I think it's a Norwegian company. I'm not sure. Um, but Todd has mm-hmm. done a pre-issue of the Benrus Type 1. You know, mm-hmm. you were talking about not attributable watches. And uh, this is one I, I couldn't wait for it to come out. Uh, no markings on the front. Um, mm-hmm. Totally sterile. No date. Um, and uh, awesome back. I don't know if, if you can see that. Yeah, it. I can see um, that. Yeah. That's
0: cool but uh probably can see the serial number on this one is 007. <laughs> so <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Everyone likes a 007 watch, don't they? Um, yeah I'll, I'll, it's another... oh. on the sub- on the subject of your watches, Jack. What actually got you into watches? Have you always been into watches or was it out of the back of joining the military um you know and and needing a watch. Um, if you, well, it's, it's a
1: combination of both. And if you, um, you're, I'm sure you're probably familiar with, uh, the Sketchy Boys Watch Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I recently wrote a, a piece for them about, uh, about watches and, uh, my, uh, my kind of introduction into real watches. Um, and, uh, actually got that piece. So this is a, a Seiko, um, it I believe it's a can't really see very well. I think it's a 6309. Um, I may be wrong on that, but um, this is actually a watch that my dad gave to me, and that's cool, you know. As I kind of well, the, the cool thing is, he gave it to me in 1987. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I had been in the army for one year, and, and I remember, you know, so I came into the Maryland National Guard first, and I, I was a medic when I initially came into the military, and um, we had training at um the heck one of the company headquarters for the 20th Special Forces Group. So not only when I stay in the military I was 17, I was like, these guys are like the penultimate soldiers. I mean, this is this is yeah. amazing. This is exactly, you know, kind of the environment I want to be in. But they were all wearing these big uh, big uh Seiko turtles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is cool. Well, you know, so the following year, I'm down in Texas at Fort Sam Houston. I'm going through my medic course. And and back then, Special Forces medics went through the Army's basic medic course first yeah. Um, before they went on to the SF medic course. So I had, you know, probably 10 dudes in my class. And, of course, they were all, you know, here I am, a young private. Um, and there's, you know, all these sergeants running around, um, and they're all wearing the turtle, you know, or they're mm-hmm. all wearing these big Seiko watches. And I'm like... this this thing is amazing. I I really want one. Of course, you know, I'm private. I didn't have any money. Um, and, um, my, uh, I I guess I mentioned it something like that. And the, uh, the following uh, Christmas in 87, before I graduated high school, um, he hands me a box at Christmas time and it's this watch. That's cool. And, you know, and and I I mean, I, you know, I grew up kind of poor. We, We didn't have a lot of money. And it was so it was a big deal gift for him to give me this watch has had its, its loom redone. It's had its, its I think it's on its third bezel. It's, had mm-hmm. its probably on its third crystal nail. Um, but this is the watch that I wore, you know, for the first part of my career. Actually, I wore this up until I became a first lieutenant and then I bought another Seiko, um, mm-hmm. which is very similar. It's just got a Jubilee bracelet and a, a Cyclops on the uh, the Day-Date Um that's and that actually that watch is actually now on the wrist of my nephew who is a third generation uh united states marine um mm-hmm. he wears that watch proudly now um but this watch yeah this one went to airborne school with me it went to jump master mm-hmm. school with me. went to um, my first deployment to haiti it, it went to afghanistan with me um yeah this watch is
0: a. Uh, it's been around that's cool. That's really cool. And like you said, p- clearly obviously made more special because it was given to your father, uh, by your father um to you as a gift. You know, something like you said, the fact that you would you'd mentioned it and a year later you you received it, I think it's really cool. Um yeah. as, as every watch nerd will ask you this probably, but you know, you, you said that you've obviously clearly you've looked after it, you've had it serviced, you know, you've kept it up to spec, and that's not taken away any of the memories and the, you know, the, the, I guess the, the and clearly some of the fond memories and maybe even some of the more trying memories that watch has probably gone through and, and, and env- environments and situations, but, you know, with the replacement of the bezels and stuff like that, have you got the original bezels? Have you kept those? Or is it just something where you're like, well, wow, actually, no, I just wanted it. You know, I just want to keep it looking good all the time and you're not that bothered about where the originals went or do you keep them all?
1: Yeah, that's, if I was probably a real true watch nerd, I'd, I probably would have kept them. Um, mm-hmm. now they've kind of gone by the wayside over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a I use a guy for that watch specifically yep. in uh, Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. His name is uh, Alexi, and uh, he works at International Watch Works and has just done amazing work over the years.
0: He's service several of my Seikos. That's cool. That's really cool. I am... Um... I, I didn't get a, a a Seiko given to me by my father. I got um his, his I got his watch actually. Um, so on my twenty third birthday, my dad gave me his watch, and it was in the need of a service. And that was the running joke. Uh, when it came back, was that he said it looked so good that he wanted it back. But he gave me his watch from when he was a young. I think he would have been a sapper or a lance corporal at the time uh, but he bought yeah. it back in 1969 when he was posted in germany uh so obviously back when the day where you know you could go into the px uh, i guess as it were in, or in our That's case fine. the british yeah. forces you know in our case yeah. the british forces the naffy uh, and buy these watches um at a bit of a discount um that being said the watch did cost him i think it was like <laughs> something stupid like three months pay or something back then which is mental um yeah. but yeah it's still cool stories right um you said that you joined as a medic uh, and obviously you went to uh, airborne school, you went to jump master school. Were all of those schools where whilst you were non-commissioned or did you wait until you commissioned um, as a lieutenant to do the jump master elements and all of that kind of stuff? How did that work for you? It, it, was, it was a little of both. Um, as
1: an enlisted guy, um, I made sergeant, um, I started out as a medic and then became an infantryman, which is exactly the opposite of what mm-hmm. people usually do but um yeah no i was lucky enough to be able to go to um uh, airborne and air assault and northern warfare um mm-hmm. as an enlisted and and then uh, the other schools the pathfinder the Jumpmaster, master um flight surgeon all that later on during my officer career okay mm-hmm.
0: okay and like you said Again, correct me if, if I'm wrong. You know, or don't understand it necessarily as as maybe as well as I should do. But obviously, it is slightly different from obviously my experience in the British military. You know, you went from medic to infantry when you commissioned. Were you an infantry officer, or did you go back into the medical side because of your trade?
1: Yeah, no. So I went. Um, I went back into into the medical side. Um, I I selected as a was a medical service corps officer, which okay. is basically like an administrator, or a planner, an operational planner and uh, was, was lucky. I commanded a platoon uh, in the 82nd airborne um, Mm -hmm. in one of the air uh, in the parachute infantry regiment Um, and uh, did that for a while. And then um, decided at that point that, you know, I, you know, as a medical service corps officer, the only fun I was going to really have have was as a platoon commander or a company commander or maybe as a battalion commander, but the rest of it was going to suck with staff work and Mm -hmm. did not want to spend my life doing that and and kind of missed medicine. You know, I I had, um, paid for undergraduate by working at night as a surgical technician and, uh, had, um, you know, a a fair amount of like experience there and decided to go through uh, the army. I wanted to go through the army's physician assistant program to become a PA. And, uh, at that point in time, the army was saying, no, we will, we will never let an officer go through our PA program. They do it all the time now. Um, but uh got out of the got out of active duty went to um graduate school to become a pa and uh and then uh was kind of out of the army for a year or so before I realized mm-hmm. how much I missed wearing the uniform and uh you know kind of the the blessing of it was is I at one point I got a uh, um got I think uh, an advertisement and uh, said you know we'll pay fifty thousand dollars worth of your student loans off if you just serve one week in a month in the army reserve and i said gosh i really man miss wearing the uniform (laughs) yeah yeah. and uh, and miss running around in the woods and being a soldier so uh you know that was 1999 and uh Mm -hmm. you know i had a young daughter at the time Uh went back into the army reserve um of course everything changed um on 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 uh, the day before september 11th my youngest daughter was born Mm -hmm. and um then there was September 11th and we were at war and, uh, you know, the whole world just changed.
0: Yeah. Changed. Yeah, definitely. Um, regarding then obviously your time after September 11th, you know, not to zone into it too much, but you know, clearly you're now a reservist medical officer. Were your tours to Afghanistan in that role or did you go out in it in, again in, a, in just a different kind of role or how, how did that work for you?
1: Yeah, I, uh, um, I deployed in uh, 2003 to Afghanistan. I was deployed for about 18 months, and we spent about 10 months overseas. I was with an aviation unit there Mm -hmm. and, you know, got through and did the deployment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did you – have you always when you've been stateside as well, you know, since being in the army, since, you know, going from active duty into reserves, have you always also been out of uh, the Fort Bragg area? Or, again, is it like the, you know, in my case, the British Army, where you can kind of bounce around a little bit more depending on your postings or all of that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I. Um, it's funny when I when I think about the American Army, it, basically Fort Bragg is what comes to my mind. Um, I've spent every rank in a unit there, from second lieutenant to full to full colonel, um, mm-hmm. and, and retired out of there. I actually, retired on Sicily Drop Zone, um, which was freaking awesome. Um, mm-hmm. sur- literally surrounded by friends all the way back from my enlisted time, and mm-hmm. uh, which is just, just awesome. It was just a great. It was just a great uh, a great time. But yeah, I um, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time at um, another base down in Fort Gordon. Um, I spent some time down at MacDill Air Force Base uh, as an augmentee to uh, one of the the Special Operations Command. Yeah. And, um,
0: yeah, it's been good. But, yeah, I spent most of my career as an officer at Fort Bragg. Nice. The place is nice. home to me.
1: Fort Liberty. Nice
0: shout out to those uh listening and, and those following at fort liberty um particularly larry over at the side war risk check uh page and the covert crown um as well as watches win wars i know that those guys are doing and i like to say paving the way for watch nerds everywhere but more importantly paving the way for watch nerds particularly in the fort liberty fort bragg area um and uh guys i'm sure jack will uh attend one of your uh next meetups or social events that you've got for watch nerds in the area um no it's really cool jack you with your experience in the military you know the fact that again also from watch nerds point of view you, you've taken your watches you've used them um and they've come with you throughout your career you know you've mentioned your seiko and your tudor uh and the Bulova, and the um the Benrus homage is there any other watches in your collection at the moment, or is there any watches that you've got your eye on uh, particularly?
1: Yeah. um, Well, so, so the Forster watch is, is coming my way Mm -hmm. in in March and I can't wait to add that on. And um, I've got a, uh, of course the Sunto or Sunto that everybody Mm -hmm. was issued back in uh, the, uh, kind of the mid-2000s. I, I wore this on a deployment kind of in mid-2010 with uh, uh, one of the special operations units. Um, I was gifted. a Great, great watch company. Great guys. Uh, the Wasson Watch Company. Um, they have a, a field watch. Um, I wear that occasionally and just wanted to, to do a good shout out to those guys. They're, they're really doing good work and uh, really appreciate what they do. Um, I have have a a Steinhardt, um, MT, which is my only GMT. Uh, around for a while, I don't wear it all the time, but uh, but I like it. I really like the sizing of the the Tudor Black Bay 58, that 39 millimeter. If they would make if Tudor would bring out a 39 millimeter GMT, Mm -hmm. I'd probably never wear another watch. I mean, I just, just like it that much. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's it. You know, I mean, you've know, got a couple of G-Shocks floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the, the, the penultimate, um, uh, terrorist watch out there, the Casio, uh, <laughs> F9W. I mean, you can't break it. If you do, it doesn't matter. It's 12 bucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's funny when I started getting into Instagram and started posting and, and like, I just fell into the watch thing. Cause I just, mm-hmm. cause, I mean, I just love it, you know? And, uh, know uh, like Texas Spy Dad, you know he's one of the guys here, or, or Movements of Action, you know they would yeah. they would post on uh, on this watch, and I was like, damn, I got to have one of those. Let me bring up Amazon, and you know, okay, I've got one, so I'll uh, I'll throw this in a post every now and then, and it's it's definitely been on the wrist of a bad guy or so in my writing.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, they uh, they definitely yeah are quintessential. I would say yeah. with the military and, you know, uh, the other side for want of a better expression, you know, like I said, the bad guys are famous for using them for various means. Uh, and it's quite interesting how, you know, certain people have written about that side of it and the history of that watch. Um, and it is all very interesting, but it's funny how everyone who joins the military at some point in my experience, they get a F91W or a Casio square of some description. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, um, really cool watch collection um obviously we're also here to talk about your books Jack um we're going to talk about how how you you know you kind of got into writing and what's interesting is you know before we started recording you were talking about effectively how it was almost like a bit of a therapeutic release for you to to to, to write um which I I think i can relate to I I, I can relate to in the fact that I when I down to write something obviously particularly for me it's been watch reviews or what going wax lyrical about watches or companies or the history of something you know to do with that um i do enjoy it you know the time passes and i enjoy writing down and putting my thoughts to paper you know or, or you know in my case a macbook um about what you know i've researched um how did you come to the conclusion that actually you wanted to effectively leave the world of the military effectively behind and, and put your all your efforts into becoming an author?
1: Yeah. Um, so, so first of all, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, you know, if you, um, if if you, it's funny, most I don't say most, maybe it's too broad of a generalization, but. When I listen to other authors talk about their books, when I listen to Brad Taylor talk, when I listen to Mark Graney talk, um, Mark Cameron, what you know, Ryan, um, you know, these guys are all fans. First, Jack Carr is a huge fan, first, and um, you know, so you know, with me, I've always been a huge reader, um, and you know, as a kid, as a, as a Gen X or growing up, you know, we were very much the latchkey kids in America, you know, drink water out of the hose, don't come home until, you know, the lights come on. Um, you know, a lot of times I would find myself in the local library and I would just read and read and, you know, I've always loved the military. I've always loved military history and, uh, and just the stories just, just kind of resonated with me. I mean, I just love a good story. And, um, I remember early on, um, Kind of in my military career. I mean, I've never been trained as a writer, you know, I don't have a master's in fine arts or anything like that. Um, but I uh, you yeah, know, I just started reading some of these books and I was like, dang, you know, a lot of what I'm reading about sounds sort of familiar to some of the work that I'm doing or been exposed to or my friends have done. Um, and uh, and I was like, Yeah, I could I could probably write a book like that. And then I would just, you know, shelve the idea and just put it on the back burner. Um and then uh, right about in the last year of my career, um, you know, life started changing. There's some some harder times. And uh, I decided well, I was going to write a book. And the first book I wrote was a, was a um, kind of a romance novel, kind of a um, – uh, dang, it, the guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, he writes a bunch of North Carolina-based um, romance novels. And um, it's like, yeah, that's trash. Let me, throw, let me put that on the back burner. That, that will probably sit in my Dropbox account never see the light of day um Mm -hmm. but but i love but i love thrillers right and i love spy books and i love spy three and i love military stuff and and you know i'm not really i don't like the um the pink mist against the wall you know the the blood dripping down the person's face as much as i like the relationship aspect of that and you know one of my favorite authors is W. E. B. griffin um Love everything that he's written. I have like I've worn his books ragged by reading them so many times. Um so I love Clancy. I mean, Clancy's amazing. I grew up in Maryland, and uh, you know, some of his books without remorse takes place on the eastern shore of Maryland. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. it actually takes place about the time that I was growing up, and uh, you know, fantastic. So I just love that. But so yeah, I just I started a. Started lining out some ideas and then I started working with an editor that has just been a, a huge help. And uh yeah, I'm um, two books complete, probably about 30% of the way through a uh, through a third book in a new series. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, my protagonist is a young officer from the Ranger Regiment uh mm-hmm. that through um one thing or the or another in a failed mission ends up uh having to leave the regiment having to leave the army as a matter of fact um and uh eventually uh without giving too much away um starts working with a new organization and mm-hmm. uh, and then that organization morphs another organization and they continue to do great
0: things for america and the world nice nice with now again something that you know we spoke about before we recorded um and i want to pull it out in into your books really and, and i think this is where you differ potentially in my opinion and, and and clearly your editor's opinion um to other people of a similar background who have gone into writing thrillers military-based books espionage-based books and all that kind of stuff because you've come at it almost on you know and i'm gonna be uh, you know, respectful as possible because I would be classed as one of those individuals as well but effectively as an attached arm to the special forces you know an attached you know um, kind of person who's like one step outside that kind of environment all the time you know you're brought in for certain things I and mean, you, you kind of go away from it would you say that as an observer you know throughout your military career that you've managed to utilise your experience of being that you know one step back and looking at things in a different way and has that influenced your writing
1: oh yeah a- absolutely um, you know not not an operator never been an operator had the blessing of being able to be around um, them many times over the year and through my career civilian and otherwise and um, uh, so yeah w- one step back is good with just a clear appreciation for for what the guys do and for what happened for what has to happen in the background to facilitate their missions. Mm-hmm. you know i mean you know, the, the point of the spear is the point of the spear but there's a long trend behind it a lot of a big series of events that have to happen uh for the for the gucci sexy things that you know show up on tv screens uh to mm-hmm. happen so so that definitely has, has been an influence
0: yeah no I, I i like that like you said you know it's the 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 bits that capture you know, one of my expression you know me even myself you know at twelve years old when you decide that the military is the career that you want to do and the thing that you go like say you go to the library you go to a bookshop or you watch films and it's sort of, like said it's always the the guys kicking in doors it's always the car chases it's always the explosions it's always that stuff that you know captures you initially but obviously as you get older you know and and you kind of go into the military and you see the other bits around it you realize that. There is loads of other roles and responsibilities, all of which support yeah. the, you know, like you said, the that 1% of the entire organization to go out and do the very kinetic and very direct action um, in some cases that, have, you know, clearly have influenced the world. And it's interesting, isn't it, to see how some writers, you know, will clearly come at it from being that 1%, you know, in be it the military, be it in espionage, be it in whichever field that they are you know, and then some people will come in from a different way. And I I particularly like, uh, you know, the different way, right, because I can relate to that more because I, like you said, you know, a bit like yourself, never been an operator, you know, been around a little bit of that environment on and off throughout my career. And, you know, it's always, like I said, interesting, I think, to just be one, one step back and, you know, I think for, you know, that to influences I think is really cool really cool with your research now into your books you know um, you mentioned Tom Clancy in writing about you know in Without Remorse and how it was set in Maryland on the coast and obviously you were in in, in Maryland at, at, at a similar time do you feel stuff like your research has to be finite in terms of you know when you describe an area a location is it taken purely from your experience or like i said do you have you had to go back and revisit certain places because you've said for example you've set your book in modern times and when you were there it could have been x amount of years previous
1: yeah you know so so most of my books are written in in modern times or maybe you know a couple of years ahead of time you know one of the things you have to remember is you have your entire life to write your first book you have a year to write your second book Mm -hmm. um so you know, and it was interesting. I was just at a book launch party, um, for Brad Taylor, um, last weekend down in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, one of the things that he commented on was his books are only one real world event away from being obsolete or having to do some significant rewrites. Right. Because, you know, like he talks about the Wagner group and, and what, uh, what could have happened with them. And, you know, yeah. in his last, book, he kind of shies away from that a little bit. And, uh, so um, so yeah, I I, I kind of tend to write about what I know. A lot of my books are are um, are settled or are set in uh, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, uh, mm-hmm. Washington, you know, Washington D.C., uh, McLean, Virginia. You know, I've got some experience in, in the Mc, in McLean area, um, South Carolina, or down around Charleston, Keel, or uh, um, Bald Head Island, which is a a very key point. Um, to uh in my first book, and it's also one of my favorite places on Earth to vacation. so mm-hmm. uh, I definitely write about that a good bit and then you know some of the other settings are you know I have to do a little bit of research in the in the book that I'm working on now it takes place um in in the Middle East in a country that I've never been in. so that's been really hard for me to write yeah. um, and to go through that of it there's also a a Russian component to this. so I have a friend of mine who speaks Russian and i, I I'll hand her a chapter and I'll say, does this chapter sound like it is appropriate for a Russian? Uh-huh. Um, you know, I probably see a couple of my guitars in the background. I, I love music as well. Um, I listen to music while I write. And, um, you know, if I'm writing a chase scene, then I'm listening to, you know, James Bond. If I'm writing a uh, a Russian bad guy scene, then I'm listening to a, to a Russian
0: composer and uh, yeah. and enjoy it. So. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, again, like, again, this might be giving a little bit too much away and you can stop me and you can just tell people to wait for the books to be released. But have you written any, effectively, is there, is there any Jack in your, actual Jack in your protagonist or is it all just, you know... Mm-hmm purely fiction and you've written a book and it's you know the only bit of jack that's in the book is the experiences of the locations and you know the entities that feature in the book is what i'm getting
1: at yeah people authors get asked that question a lot um there is a most of what i write about most of the people that i write about in my books they're either amalgamations of people or you know rips off of people my um my protagonist best friend uh in in my novels is probably one of my best friends and it's based on a canadian army emergency medicine doctor and Mm -hmm. a great friend names changed a little bit but great great friend um and uh um the uh for my protagonist um there's a little bit of me uh, he looks a whole heck of a lot like a nephew of mine um Mm -hmm. And it probably acts a little bit like the guy too, because he's he's uh he's a pretty awesome guy. Um as I age, as I get a little bit older, and mm-hmm. um, I think about like my, my dad in, in some ways and, and then even some things that I see in myself, um probably one of the
0: supporting characters has a lot of me in him. Okay.
1: But he's but he's a supporting character.
0: <laughs> it still must be really cool to almost right elements like you said elements of people that you know and you know you clearly care for and you're very fond of into in, in and intertwine them into characters you know like you said taking uh personality traits or mannerisms and put them putting them yeah. into into a character must be really really um well creative and and very rewarding and I'd say quite fun it must be you know cool. um in 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 terms of And something that I've worded a lot when I've spoken about books, uh, particularly when I've, you know, um, suggested books to to friends or in in the audiences, Um, what I like is when a writer can write enough of, uh, you know, write a fiction book, but with enough detail of the real to make it come alive, right? So we mentioned it earlier that you were, you know, said that you plan to write a Forcia watch into one of your novels. Um, When it comes to watches, because obviously we're here, we're a Watch Podcast. Do watches feature in your books, and are they specific, or do you, des- do, you- do you mention a watch very similar to, you know, uh, Mister Fleming himself, where he's like, oh, it was a it was a Rolex Oyster, and he kind of leaves it at that, you know, or are you going to be very specific, and it's you know he looked at his blue dialed sure watch as an example, you know, what what have you decided? Yeah, so yeah, watches do. Uh
1: they're very prominent um in, in what I write. Um as, as a matter of fact, there, there's a Tudor Black Bay 58 on the wrist of my protagonist, um mm-hmm. given by his father, um, in the very first two paragraphs of my first book. And nice. um so, you know, that's that's sort of an homage to my own father. Um yeah. in 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 that. Um but yeah, no, there's a, there's definitely certain watches are, are in there. And one of the things that, that I want to do with my writing in general is really lift up the veteran entrepreneur community. Yep. Um, I mean, so yes, there's for sure watches on people's wrists. There's, there's Rolexes on some people's wrists. There's tutors on others. There's Seiko's on others. There's, there's a, uh, there's a Sangin, um, uh, it's a Sangin. Uh, Neptune overlord. Over- kinetic. Yeah, there's, there's a saying Overlord on, on the wrist of, of one of my NCOs in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the book. And, um, you know, I do that, one, just because, I mean, watches are part of the military and espionage culture. I mean, you, you, you have to have a watch, and it probably should not be an Apple watch. Um, you know, <laughs> a good you know, analog, automatic, you know, never die watch should be mm-hmm. on your wrist. So, so that does, but then the other re- the other reason why I write into things like the sure Watch watch some of these other guys is is just because I want to support their small companies. You know, yeah. I want to I want to bring some. I've, I've got a friend that's a part owner of a bourbon company, Four Branches Bourbon. Um, my guys drink Four Branches Bourbon on occasion in my books. You know, nice. just because I I want to make, make sure. Actually, there's one scene that happens in the Oval Office, and they're sipping on a Four Branches Bourbon. Um, I do, I do that basically because I want to help continue to support other veterans um, who have the the courage to get out and start, you know, s- start doing something that's a little outside the uh, outside
0: the box and being creative and starting their own companies. That's cool. That is really cool. I mean, we may I mean, I don't know, again, you know, ha- do these companies know that they will eventually feature or will this be a surprise to them when they listen to the podcast or read your book?
1: Um, uh, yeah, so Sam and Emmett know that I've told, have told them, yeah, I'm, I've got a forger strapped to the wrist of, of, a, of one of the guys, um, RJ Casey, who's one of the owners of, uh, of, uh, Four Branches Bourbon. Um, mm-hmm. he knows in one of the other owners, they're, they're very happy, uh, that I've chosen to throw some Four Branches Bourbon out there. And there's, <laughs> there's other companies Eagle out of, uh, um, Southern Pines, like, you know, their call sign, um patches are are on the shoulders of, of the men and women in in my uh in my books and there's there's several other small companies like that that i i try to throw a shout out to because
0: nice. they're great companies nice i mean selfishly yeah. jack if any of your characters want to listen to a podcast mate the uh zulu time podcast is always available to be written into a book um just so just find out <laughs> um
1: Definitely. In terms of
0: you, <laughs> I, I well, I, I shall wait for your books to see see, see if that ever happens, but I would be very honoured. Um, In terms of the books themselves, obviously, like you said, you've completed two books. You're partway through your third. What is the process now for yourself, you know, in terms of when the books are going to be published, released? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so you know so being a writer is um it's a lot like and I don't know if this will translate into British British um as well but it's almost like being an overnight sensation on, in Nashville, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know where the center of the music industry is in, in in Great Britain but um you know you take people that are overnight sensations tended to play a lot of bars for about a decade or 15 years before their first breakthrough hit gets out. Mm-hmm. Um I know um Don Bentley who has written a lot of the stuff and is is now writing some of the Vince Flynn stuff. Um he told me once we, we had a conversation. He's like, he's like, listen, it took 17 years for my first book to like get out there. And then it snowballed mm-hmm. after that. So um I currently have uh my first book is out getting looked at. I found this out yesterday I was talking into my editor. Um my first book is out there getting looked at by some agents right now and mm-hmm. uh, I'm kind of swinging for the, I mean, sure. I could, I could hit go and have it published on Amazon this afternoon. Um, yeah. but I don't want to I really would like mm-hmm. to get a, a true uh, book deal. And I think I have it in me and I think other people think that I have it in me as well. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, let's try to get that audience if we can. Yeah. Um, no, no.
0: That's cool. Makes, That's cool. Yeah, I assume as well, again, like again, I, I have no idea. I've never gone down this route before, but also I assume self-publishing is also a lot more than potential noise potentially as a writer, to also have to deal with all that side of it, as well as writing, you know, the next novel, as it were.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you self-publish, then you have to do all the publicity. You have to arrange for all the artwork. You have to... Um, you have to do all the social media you have to do and social media is an incredibly new thing for me. I never, I literally, until I started writing, I never had a social media account. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have one now, you know, obviously pay pretty close attention to it. Try to work on it. And I really try to, and I'm grateful to like my, my, my followers um, because I, you know, I really try to make sure that I interact with them Mm -hmm. uh, consistently Um, actually getting to the point now where I have enough followers that it's getting harder and harder to do that. Um, so, um, if they're listening in, I really appreciate you. And I try to reply to everything. Um, but yeah, so the self-publishing, that side of it, plus, I mean, I still have a job. Um, it, it would, it would be all consuming. Um, so yeah, I I really hope, hope to go for the, hope to kind of swing for the fences and, uh, you know, get a good deal with a good, good, larger publishing company and have a lot of that done or some help with a lot of that.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Kind of well, of... I I, mean, at the end of the day, like I said, I think from, from what we've spoken about before recording and stuff like that, you know, it does sound like it is on a positive trajectory. So, you know, we'll just have to, to wait to see, you know, in, in this case, as, as avid readers and wait, wait for these, these, these books to be published and released. Um, Jack, in terms of yourself if, now, if, if sorry. But if if nothing else,
1: if I never get published, I've written two and a half thrillers or two and a third thrillers that I really really like, and I will probably continue to write just because I enjoy writing. And I think as well, so, like you know, the, right, the the fact that you, uh, because
0: I think the fact sorry, I think the fact that you said ahead, that you, would, you it's all right, yeah. Uh, my connection is a little bit in and out, guys, as you may have realized, but we're making it work. Um, but the fact that you've said that you would continue writing, even if you never got published, to me, tells me that you're writing for the correct reasons. You know, if it's something for you and therefore, you know, other people will naturally fall in line to that and, and, and you know, clearly believe in, in your worth as an author and, and the stories that you you're going to put out there. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, thank you um david uh so so jack in terms of um yourself now you know where can people find you you spoke about social media i assume you have a website um where can people find you where can people engage with you and all of that good jazz
1: yeah sure so the primary means to engage with me is um through jack mctavish adventures on instagram i don't have a website yet um i'm actually holding off on that, um, until a book deal goes through, mm-hmm. um, specifically because I want to make sure that it's designed and done the right way. Um, but I try to be very active on the Instagram account and, uh, try to, uh, interact often. And, uh, you know, one of the other things that I re- really try to do, um, is encourage other, uh, other people like yourself that are, you know, have a podcast that's out there. Other people that have a small business, other people that have a, uh, um, you know, a product or a book or a, um, you know, something along those lines that, that I can say, hey, check this guy out. He's awesome. He's doing great work, and uh, you know, good for him. Go and uh, you know, I try to try to lift other people up as much as possible.
0: Well, what they say is it wasn't the 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 phrase says um a rising tide lifts all boats or something like that you know i think that's right you know share the love you know with um everyone who's independent be it creatively small businesses and all that kind of stuff and i know for one uh the zulu time podcast also aspires to do that as well you know particularly clearly within watches but you know Especially when it comes to um, veterans and 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 veteran-owned businesses and, and and all that kind of stuff. So I fully am on board with that mentality. Um, guys, go check out Jack's uh, Instagram. Please engage with him. Um, if you can't spell McTavish, don't worry. It's in the show notes because I've got it all sorted. Because you know I'm just good at squaring you all the way, Jack. Um, before we move on to closing notes, is there anything that you think that you've missed about yourself, about your books, about your watch collection? Um, any further advice to any inspired uh, or inspire, aspiring writers for you know out the back of this podcast? Have you got anything else before we move on to the closing notes section?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, for, for aspiring writers, it's 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 interesting. Like people like message me fairly frequently. They're like. Hey, I'm interested in writing. You know, can can I send this to you? And would you take a look at it? And, and my reply is generally yes. And I give them an email address, and I'll take a look at a few things. Um, but really, just do it. Just write. If you if you want to be create, if you want to create something, just just try to create it. It does. It's not going to automatically be good. There is no such thing as an overnight success. And um, um, just go ahead and do it. And one of the other things that, that I really like about the writers community is that we don't compete with each other. I am in no way in competition with Jack Carr or Brad Taylor or any of the other big names that are out there. If, if we One of the things I've learned from these guys is if we do it right, it'll take us a year to write a book. And if we do it right, somebody's going to pick it up, start reading it when they get home from work, and then be up all daggone night going to work tired the next morning because they couldn't put it down. Like that's when you know that your book is is like the right book, and uh, you know obviously this happened to me <laughs> many times. I've missed a lot of night's sleep because I spent the entire night reading a book that I just couldn't put down. And uh, and one of the things I, I just love about this writers community is that they're we're all like yeah hey no this guy's book is awesome it's fantastic and uh, yeah
0: that's that's a good thing that's a good community and I like that. No, that's cool. It's uh, it sounds like a very similar. Uh, community to uh, well within my own experience of of the watch community you know everyone's supportive everyone kind of you know there's there's room for everyone be a blogger a podcaster um, a maker a strap maker um, a modder Um, and I I think like I said you know I think more communities um, of like-minded or similar hobbies need to be need to be like that you know because like you said you never know who's going to be the the next you know, big thing or the next trend or whatever. So now it's really cool. Jack, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. Um, as you're my guest, obviously we're going to start with you for your closing note. So please let the, uh, let the audience know, uh, what your suggestion is, uh, for this episode. Yeah, sure. So, um, probably the author
1: that's, uh, um, it's it's a little older now. It's, um, but WB Griffin or Web Griffin, um, brotherhood of war series absolutely love this this book is dog-eared tattered torn um i've read this series uh i mean gosh i don't know it's probably in my 20s when i started reading it. so i have read them over and over and over again they're, they're just that good and uh if i can think of one writer that really sort of influences how i write is probably W. E. B. griffin probably followed by tom clancy um mm-hmm greats in the genre and if you haven't read this some, some people everybody's a lot of people read clancy not everybody's read griffin um pick it up read it especially if you're an army army uh soldier or officer you'd probably like the uh, the brotherhood of war series he has another series the semper or the uh semper Five series or the core series uh that follows uh um a young marine and then they all have linkages to the
0: cia and the oss so it's mm-hmm. everything that a person loves. What, what about you what are you, what are you reading so, uh, in terms of reading at the moment, I'm on Brad Thor. I'm on the fifth, fifth or sixth book of the Scott Harvath series. There you go. Uh, that's not my closing uh-huh. note, but that's just in general what yeah, I'm it. I'm currently getting through. Um, I recently finished a load of books um, by. Uh, Matthew Richardson, I've finished all of his books that I know that I've, I'm sure that have been released um, which were all about espionage and The Scarlet Papers was a closing note a couple of episodes back um, and that's a really good, really good um one-off uh and it follows um basically espionage in the modern era and in fact it follows a writer and and, and, a, and a historian um in the modern times I and mean, then it does flashbacks back to you know the times of the soe and and the cold war yeah. which is really cool um that was like i said that featured a couple of episodes back but yeah so i'm i'm just chunking through um the Bradford, Thor- ford Thor- Thor- scott harvass series which i've just been really enjoying and like you said it was funny i i can definitely relate to finishing work and in even my case listening to a podcast or like I said actually reading the book but like you said you know staying up and just kind of go just gonna extend the timer on that for an extra 45 minutes or just one more chapter one more chapter and before I know it it's half the one in the morning and I've got to be up at like seven or whatever you know so like I can definitely feel you um and and yeah you know when a book is that good obviously you just want to get through it all so you know that's what I've been reading in terms of my actual um closing note for today's episode it's not a book guys i um, sorry to disappoint however I will add some bonus closing notes um, I've just noted them down as uh, Jack was speaking so I'll even put in Without Remorse by Tom Clancy because we're clearly featured um, as another prominent writer in Jack's life um, however my closing note is Masters of the Air so if you've not seen it it is a book so you can go and read it However, mm-hmm. um, Apple TV um, with HBO have just released um, Masters of the Air um, as of January or the end of January. Um, so we're on episode, at the time of recording this episode for the podcast, uh, episode four of Masters of the Air have just has just been released. And it follows um, the story of the 100th bomb group within the 8th, u.s army air force during world war ii so basically the very brave individuals who operated the b-17 heavy bombers during daylight uh, missions over northern europe um again it was taken from a book written by stephen ambrose i believe off the top of my head um who did band of brothers and the pacific and all that kind of stuff uh which is obviously based upon diary excerpts of the individuals who you know lived through those times um Obviously, the book will clearly be very good, but I just don't think in terms of those events, anyone ever thought that they'd be able to translate them as accurately as they have done onto the screen. And I think you just need to go and watch it for just a piece of standalone, you know, TV, film, cinematic kind of ability to kind of show you some of the things that these individuals went through and it is absolutely phenomenal. Um phenomenal and clearly quite harrowing um but yeah that's what I've been getting through as well as obviously reading um the Scott Harvath series. So if you've not seen it Jack I implored you to give an hour up of 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 a of a, week, of a day um to basically catch up on the on the four episodes that have been released um on apple tv at the moment i'm sure it will release on like amazon at some point if you don't have apple tv guys but it is phenomenal
1: yeah i I agree i'm i'm
0: I'm watching it and absolutely love it so and also there's watches did you notice did you notice on um on some of the episodes that the pilots are wearing the watches like on the inside of their wrists so that they can uh, keep yeah. their hands on the on the yokes of the B17 during the y- flight yeah. Yeah, yeah i thought that was That's, really cool yeah. um and then the did you notice on the lapels of the aircraft engineers that they had the watches loop through the lapel button loops instead of having them on their wrists so that when they were working on the aircraft they obviously wouldn't get caught up um within the engines or the airframes
1: I you know I've I've seen guys do that before, um, mm. but I haven't noticed. I'll, I will look for that the next time I watch an episode.
0: Well, what yeah, I'll do, answer. Jack. What I'll do, Jack, is I'll actually send you it. I'll send you a photo because I I found it when I was watching. Because I watched the episode. <laughs> I, I I have a bit of a ritual with it, so. I'll watch the episode on the day it's released and I'll kind of like, you know, make that time where I've got no other distractions and I'll watch it. And then afterwards, I'll kind of like later on in the weekend, I'll probably skim back over bits so that I just want to rewatch again just because mm-hmm. I'm clearly interested in how they filmed it. Because obviously, being a, you know, now a media specialist, a photographer, a videographer, I just like to see how technically they filmed things. Because uh, obviously, no one's, you know, um, well, effectively, no one's thought of a new idea in terms of how to film something. It's, you know, looking at how you can do and reiterate on those shot angles or whatever. Um, but I like re really looking at it for that reason. And when I went back the second time, I noticed the watches on the lapels, um, which is really interesting, actually, because I assume you did that, by the way, when you were a medical officer, because obviously you wouldn't have had to have had watches on your wrists all the time due to, I guess, hygiene ish, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I um, I, I wear my watch all the time. I, I do emergency
1: mm-hmm. medicine, um, so I mean, most of the procedures that I do, I, I keep a watch on. The the one thing that I will take my watch off for a lot of times is when I mean, any any in the operating room, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would take my watch off and tie it to my uh, the strings of my scrubs scrub pants yeah. so I don't lose it. Um, mm-hmm. I would do that, um, but but generally most of the time I wear my watch except when I'm putting a cast on somebody mm-hmm. and
0: then I take because I don't want to get a bunch of plaster all over it. So, yeah, but that uh, one. yeah, I'm sure, it's I'm sure the, uh, I'm sure the Tudor would survive if you accidentally got a bit of plaster. <laughs> on A Tudor would
1: be just fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, now I'll send you the photo of the, um, the, the, the watches through the lapels just because I think it's interesting. And also going back to obviously the watches that we spoke about in your collection. What's really cool is the fact that they are, they look, period correct, and they would have been provided by Bullover, um, Elgin, and Waltham, because they were the US Ordnance Department watches. Um, So they're actually white-dialled watches in, in the series, which is accurate to the time, because the A11 at the beginning of the series, hadn't come into service. So I just want to throw it out there as a watch nerd, guys. The watches are accurate to the time um, because the A11s hadn't quite made it into the, uh, into operational use at the, at the beginning of the series. So, yeah, guys, go check it out. Jack, thank you very much for coming on to uh, the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm sure um, that my audience and, uh, and myself will... Um, look forward to reading your books when they are uh released um and i'm sure if you want to i'm more than happy i would love to get you back onto the podcast you know um once that happens you know to give a bit of an update to my audience
1: absolutely i'd, I'd love it i really appreciate
0: you having me on and uh
1: you know be careful out there and you know cheers good to see you
0: yeah no dramas right guys um look forward to next episode i'm not too sure what the next episode will hold my plan is to have a panel episode um where i've actually got some new topics uh, on my notepad in front of me um i will tease those out um going into march but the other thing guys to look forward to in the next episode is i will be uh launching the zulu time podcast photo competition where you can be in for a chance to win your own Zulu Time podcast coin uh, patch and some other bits that I will acquire uh, in due course. But yes, tune into next episode um, for all of the details on the competition. And until then, as Jack said, stay safe out there and enjoy yourselves. Bye.